go much farther getting deep on one thing than getting an inch deep and a mile wide on everything. You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. We have an awesome guest for everyone today. We got Chris Powers on the podcast, which personally, I know Connor and I are really excited about. We've been following him for a while, so it's kind of, you know, an honor for us to finally get him booked. So thank you for coming on, Chris. We are really excited to have you on. I'm excited to be here, and uh, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So for anyone that's listening, I'm, I'm sure they've probably heard some of your story um, before. You've been doing kind of Class B industrial in Dallas, Fort Worth area for a while. But you have a really unique experience of pretty much hitting almost every asset class in real estate before you really niche down. So a lot of our audience, a lot of people in their 20s don't have any real estate experience. Do you have any kind of quick playbook on someone that, you know, their game plan is real estate over the next 10 years? They have no experience. What's the fastest way for them to kind of get, get the, you know, hit the ground running and really kind of scale out and get the experience they need, say over the next five years to potentially kind of go out on their own in the future? Yeah, I think, um, I wouldn't say I regret, but I would just say um, when you focus on something and get really, really good at one thing, you can scale that opportunity quicker. You learn about it quicker. You learn what, what to do, what not to do. Um, you know, if I had to say what my original niche was, it was just, I was an expert on Fort Worth and I was able to kind of do different deals in the city. But what I learned is like, as soon as we just picked one thing and really, you know, got good at it, we could go to other cities with it. And we didn't have to be so confined to our Fort Worth sandbox. Um, and so, you know, no matter what asset class it's in, whether it's in real estate or any business, we are exponentially better and our team is exponentially better because we show up every day to focus on like one thing, not 20 things. Yeah. I mean, y'all, y'all are entrepreneurs. You, you understand that, um, especially like in self-storage, you're learning a lot more about that one thing each day. And it really entrepreneurs are a little different. We're a little bit all over the place. We like shiny things and, Oh, that looks like a good idea. But for a lot of people that are going to come to work for you over time, they don't like lots of ideas. They want to be stable and kind of know what they're showing up to. And it took me a long time to realize that. I thought everybody enjoyed this like rocky ship of like, oh, we'll go that way. And then this way, turns out most people on earth just want to stay in their lane and get really good at one thing. And um, yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but picking something, I think you'll go much farther getting deep on one thing than getting an inch deep and a mile wide on everything. And when you say going deep on one, because I know there's the whole Gary Kelleher book, the one thing, and you've talked about this a lot going class B industrial in Dallas, Fort Worth. And I think now you're kind of expanding that asset class out to different territories too. Would you recommend focusing entirely on one asset class or one specific geographic territory to start? I would probably, honestly, I think it's easier to start on just one asset class type. Um, because it doesn't change, like the fundamentals of a market are fundamentals of the market. Obviously, if you're going to go build high rises in New York City, you can't necessarily scale that to everywhere. But if you're doing a certain asset type that you can look around the country and go, this exists everywhere, I would probably um, go asset type first. And then, you know, for us, I think it's easier to understand a market to some degree than it is to understand an asset type and get really, really good at it and be the first person that people call when they have a deal, the first person that somebody wants to go work for if they're you know, wanting to get into industrial, 
the first person a debt broker calls when they want to lend money to somebody. Like there's all these other forces that come into play when you become the expert in one thing. It's not just how much do I know class B, it's how much does everybody else know I know class B and what are they willing to do to kind of join the fight? And then for someone that's on the younger side, in terms of getting into the industry, would you recommend kind of going the, hey, find, find a mentor, find someone you can work under that's doing it or hit the ground running, try to start doing your own deals and you know, learn on your own pace and go from there? So I, I'm going to answer this differently than I might have answered it five years ago. And I don't know if y'all have ever done this, but I think everybody that is on earth now should be personality tested to learn who they are. Mm. Uh, we've, we are, I'm so deep into it. At, and at Fort, we recruit and we personality test. It's, it's job traits and how will they show up at work. But to answer the question you just asked, I just think we're all, there's, there's people that are wired differently. I think there's people that do need to go find a mentor and learn that way. And I think there's people, I fall into this camp that just want to dive into the deep end. I don't care if I'm drowning, I'll just figure it out. I would do much better there than I do. Now I have mentors and people I learn from, but I think people need to understand who they are before they make a decision about whether to jump in the deep end or not. It's not for everybody. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense. When, just out of curiosity, from the personality test, are you talking like Myers-Briggs, uh, Predictive Index? Predi uh, Wee's Culture Index. Uh, view, uh, Enneagram is amazing. You can take an Enneagram test online for like 10 bucks. Uh, Myers-Briggs, I've taken that. Yep. The good news is they all kind of have different things that they show you in the results. Mm. But no matter which test I've taken, they all pretty much say like, this is who you are, dude. Um, right. So pick one. If you don't like what you hear, unfortunately, um, you know, it is what it is. These are so science-based that I'm just convinced that they are so remarkable and anybody should use them to understand who they are before they start making huge decisions. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and now like kind of going into like the mentor piece a little bit more too, I think if I'm correct, you're part of YPO, is that correct? Yep. So how has that kind of impacted your career? And like, I think one of the coolest parts for, us running this podcast and you get this all the time too i'm sure with your own podcast is like you just get access to these people who have so much experience and have done really cool things in their career has it's in ypo stands for young president's organization if i'm correct that's correct yep how has that impacted your career either for the better or worse so it's funny you bring that up i did my 200th episode on my podcast yesterday and a whole segment on it was like things i've picked up over the years that i recommend people doing and the first thing I said was join an, an industry or a, a, a group that you can be transparent and vulnerable with. And so I say this, um, I don't want to oversell this. Joining YPO is probably top three most impactful things I've ever done, not just for my business, for my life. Wow. And so what you get, and we can talk about mentors, is you have the global group of 60,000 members that you can connect with all over the world. It's almost like a badge of honor. If I need to, if I'm in Germany, I can log into the YPO portal and be like, hey, I'm in Germany, I need some help. And people feel like it's like a fraternal thing. So there's that level. But then at the local level, I have my eight person forum that I meet with once a month. It's basically like a board of advisors. Mm. And we meet every month for five hours. It's a very structured meeting. Um, but we don't just share business stuff. Like I'm a father with raising two kids, trying to build a business. I, I learn like 
you'll find out entrepreneurs are good at, um, you know, forgetting that they have families and friends when they're just like in the thing. Yeah. And they think they're doing all the right stuff and they're really not They're They, they, and so it's all these things, but I guess my point is no matter whether it's YPO or something, I can go to that group and say anything that's on my mind. And when I say anything, I mean, things that you just couldn't, you don't even tell your best friends because there's this, you sign confidentiality agreements. And when you're able to get really vulnerable and really tell people what you're going through, that's when like life starts happening. Cause they can give back to you. Hey, I've experienced this or, Hey, have you tried this? Or, but if you just walk into every meeting and you're like, yeah, business is good. Family's good. You know, kids are good. Like I have nothing to give that person. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's that, go it's, ahead. I was gonna say, it's interesting too, because you quickly realize, like, I feel like and no matter what problem you're going through in life, you think like, wow, I'm probably the only one experiencing this issue. When in reality, as soon as you go and start talking about it openly, you realize, oh, a lot of other people have gone through the same exact thing that I have, and I'm not alone in this. And they've actually like solved it through these three different ways. You're so right. And, and the social media world that we live in today puts this added pressure that everybody's just like hitting home runs all day long. They're just walk, waking up and just hitting it out of the park. And the, the cool part is like, well, it's not cool, but I know a lot of these people on Twitter and everything. I know behind the scenes what they're dealing with. You just don't see that. And so in a world that we live in today, I think it's even more important to find a peer group that you can be really open and vulnerable with. And it's just like everything, like the more you're willing to share and be transparent, the more you'll get out of it. And so it's been huge. I would say the top three things going on in my business probably came out of YPO. Uh, when I've had a, you know, uh, every marriage is not perfect. If there's challenges at times, how to deal with that, um, how to parent better, all those things. But um, so it's been huge. And to your point on mentorship, I always have found it as like, look, that person's 15 years ahead of me. They've done exactly what I want to go do why would I not try and learn everything they did right and everything they did wrong and then hack the system? Um, yeah, just very comfortable asking people questions. What are some of the other kind of difficult aspects maybe that people don't realize, right? I think to, to your point, everyone on Twitter seems to be making millions of dollars every month and running the most successful companies. Um, and they don't see a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. Do you think it's kind of combining the entrepreneurship aspect with, with family or social life? Is it scaling up the business? Or I'm, I'm curious, you know, someone that's in your perspective that a lot of us would look up to and be like, hey, he's made it right Run, runs runs a massive real estate company. Um, what are some of the other challenges that you know, other people might not realize come up um, that you kind of face on, you know, weekly yeah. basis? I will be the first to say like, I have so many flaws and so many things that I've overcome and so many mistakes that I've made. And um, you know, I fall into the the trap of like every, everything looks great on on Twitter. Um, you know, I was talking to y'all before we started. Like y'all are in Breckenridge, two single guys get to run your business remote. Like my first is like soak it up, because once you have a wife and you have kids that you're accountable to, everything changes like dramatically. And we seem to think, or at least I did for a long time, it's like okay, I have my business bucket, I have my like family bucket, my marriage bucket, my father bucket, and they, they all work separately. Like I can show up to work 100%, even if things aren't great here. And what I would tell you after, you know, being a father, being a husband, but seeing hundreds of entrepreneurs and talking to them at a deep level, 
your life, you have a hundred, you're given a hundred percent energy every day. And if something's going wrong at home and it's pulling your energy down, it doesn't mean you get to show up at work with a hundred percent energy. And anybody that can is, it's like a robot. It's like they have no emotion. Right. Um, if things are rough at home or things are rough with a friend or things are not good at, like, it's hard to be, if things aren't going well at business, it's hard to show up with a smile on your face in front of the kids every day. If things aren't good with the kids, it's hard to show up at work and not think about those problems. And so they're all interconnected. Um, and I would just tell you, like, I've, I know people that own billion dollar companies. I know billionaires. I know everybody's like got a spot in their life that's draining their energy. And just because you fix it, now energy might drain somewhere else. And um, the good part is everybody goes through it and the good, the best are the best are good at understanding it, not getting freaked out by it and kind of leaning into it, like feeling the pain. You learn like when you're feeling the pain. Now you yeah. might not like it, it might take a while to overcome it. Nobody loves pain. But if you played sports growing up, it was like the days when you're doing hundreds of push-ups and sit-ups that made you better. It wasn't like, you know, the one touchdown that you scored or, you know, whatever. The the irony is, is that when you're in the present moment, the worst things never, like, they're never the best. Sorry, that's, that sounds just stupid. When you're in the moment, the pain and the struggles that you're going through always seem like they're the end of the world. But if you ever reflect back, whether it's in business or sports or in life, it's usually always those struggles and those crazy things that came up that were the most fun and like interesting to kind of like reflect on and remember, which is kind of like the irony of it all. It's so true. No, we, and, and going back to the way the world's structured today is like, we are, we have turned the world into short-term gratification. Like nobody wants bad news. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to lose a dime in the stock market for a day. Nobody wants to do anything that could bring any pain to them. And what I would tell you is if we just use like athletes as a continuing example, is like Michael Jordan and Tiger Woods are who they are because the pain they endured while practicing over and over and over while all their friends were out drinking and partying and whatever. There's just nobody at the top of their game that hasn't put in the work. It's just impossible. Completely agreed. So I want to kind of shift up the conversation a little bit now. Um, just right now it's 2022. I want to kind of take it back to 2004 when I believe was the year you graduated TCU or maybe 2005 was started. It? You started, okay. So in 2004, you started to learn how to go and buy houses at TCU. Um, you know, I tried to do a bunch of research before this podcast. If I, my numbers are correct, I believe you graduated with 12 houses that you owned by the time you graduated college. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I'm curious about now is a lot of the people who are listening to this want to get their first deal. They want to either, either they have nothing and they want like their first deal, or maybe they have their first one or two deals. And now they're like, cool, should I leave my corporate job at IBM or whatever? And like make this a full-time career for myself. I would love to kind of know the advice that you would give yourself today when you were 22 years old, graduating college, you've got 12 houses now under your belt. And I know you've done everything under the sun from everything from land deals to short-term rent or to uh, single family residential to multifamily and everything. What advice would you give Chris back in, I guess maybe would it be 2007 when you graduated from college? Yeah, 2008, December yeah. 2008. What, what advice would you have? For the guy that already owns 12 houses or for the guy that's graduating that might want to buy their first house? What about both? Yeah, I guess both, yeah. The first, if you don't own anything and you want to own something, my advice is, um, I don't know if it's that great of advice is like, I don't think it's as hard as, I think people make things out to be harder than they really are. 
Now, everybody has a different, you know, financial background and, and circumstances in their life. But if I had to give like a blanket statement, it's like, if you really want to own a house, I would make that your year long goal. And then what I would do is go, okay, what are all the things that could lead to buying that house? It's like, okay, I'm going to go talk to every lender in town. And maybe I already qualify. Well, it's amazing how many people qualify for a loan that don't think they could qualify for a loan. So I would go learn, do I qualify for a loan? Yes or no? If yes, under what terms? If no, what do I have to do to qualify for a loan? Whatever answer you get, then focus on that path. Then I would just pick a neighborhood or two in my city that I know, um, and I'd get to know them really well, and I'd meet a couple agents, and I would just start talking and learning about a deal. It's not that hard to understand the, a good deal versus a bad deal. And the quicker you see lots of them, the quicker you'll know when a good one is. And all I would say is like doing those two things will every day, if you just do something, you just build this confidence that when the right deal comes along, you're kind of ready. And then somebody would say, well, what if I don't have the down payment? My answer to that is I'd use an FHA loan and do 3% down a uh, government loan. That's what I did on my first several houses. But if you can't do that, I don't, again, blanket statement, go start telling everybody in your network that you're looking for this deal and telling them along the way. That way, when you find one, it's not like, you know, why did Chris come out of the nowhere and tell me about some real estate deal? They're like, oh, we know Chris has been working on this for six months. If this is the one he found. So that's a, that's a short, quick answer. And it seems really simple. And guess what it is? I, it's, 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 it's that. Um, and it comes with a level of confidence. The last thing I would say on that is you guys are doing self-storage. You guys have seen so many deals that when you see one, you probably know in an hour if it's good or not. Mm -hmm. I've been in real estate for 17 years. I've never done a self-storage deal. If I saw the same deal y'all saw, it might take me two or three days to figure out if it's good or not. I'd have to call people. I'd have to learn, you know, all this stuff. And so my point in all that is, you guys could make a decision in an hour and, and people that don't know what y'all are up to would go, man, that just seems really risky that they could decide that quickly. And I'm like, they didn't decide in an hour. They've spent three years and looked at thousands of deals to get the judgment to go that quick. So what seems risky to somebody that's really good or, or what seems risky to someone that is basically them saying, I just don't know a lot about this. So it seems risky. Whereas on y'all's end, it's like, this isn't risky. Like we knew in an hour. In fact, it was probably the least risky thing you did all day. Yeah. The risky thing you are going to do today is go down a double black diamond. <laughs> uh, so on the flip side, um, that's maybe my quote on risk is like risk for like Elon Musk doesn't think of building a Tesla as risky. He's been doing it all day, every day for 12 years. But if I was to try and go build an electric car, I'd be like, I'd be all frazzled. Right. Same thing with class B industrial. I can look at a deal and know, and not to say y'all aren't smart, but it's just going to take you a while. Yep. So point in all that for the first time people is get through reps, look at lots of deals, talk to lots of brokers, talk to bankers. And when you see the deal, it just won't feel that risky because you've just kind of gone through the motions. I think the other question was, what would I tell the kid that's 22 and already has some stuff? I don't know. I think a big part of my successes have been that I wake up every day feeling really behind. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't need anybody to motivate me. Y'all don't need anybody to motivate you. You wake up every day and you're self-motivated. 
I, no matter what I say to you, it's never going to motivate you more than you could motivate yourself. Yeah, it's one of my one of my favorite Elon Musk quotes is something along the lines of like, if what would you tell somebody who needs inspiration to go and start their business? He's like, if you need inspiration, don't start a business. Don't start a business. It's so true. Yeah. And so for me, I think the only thing I would tell myself that it, just looking back, and it's not because I did anything wrong or whatever, but just kind of like enjoy the, the process. Like I've woken up for so long, not enjoying, I don't celebrate like victories that great because every victory I've ever had, I expected to have. So it didn't really feel that way. Mm. But I look back and I'm like, now that we have a big team and I have kids and is I kind of want to start enjoying some of this stuff more. Mm. Now I would end that by saying, look, when you're single and have no kids or no wife, put in the work, like freaking do it. Yeah. Because as soon as those things start coming into your life, it changes. And that's not a bad thing. Um, but I, I envy y'all so much. Y'all are traveling around the country. You're living from spot to spot. Like you're waking up, killing it in business. Listen, life, life is good, but also you can say the flip side, right? The grass is always green. You're in your early thirties and you've got more than half, uh, more than half a billion in real estate that you manage. Like that G and I look at you and we're like, cool. That's where we want to be in 10 years. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah, yeah. It, it's always every, every, the grass is always green no matter how you look at it. I will tell you, if you're going to do it, the best thing you have to focus on from here going forward, and y'all are the guys that are going to do it. Y'all probably do a billion in 10 years. You've got to start eventually going, I need to hire a badass team and create a machine that's going to get me. You will never do it, the two of y'all. Y'all need to have a team, an yeah. army that, that creates deal flow and can execute. Yeah. And that's What's my advice to y'all over the next 10 years is build the machine. What, what does that typically look like from maybe the first couple hires because we've we go back and forth all the time and like hey we want we want more you know a couple more properties before we start hiring people and then it's who are the actual people we should be hiring is it you know do we build our own call center in the philippines do we you know do we do we hire someone on the ground for acquisitions what do you think from your perspective that led to you know going from a couple million dollars in real estate to that you know half a billion dollar mark are there specific people and levers that you pulled on that drastically allowed you to scale, you know, crazy quick there? So it's funny because um, as entrepreneurs, it's like sometimes you're naturally attracted to other entrepreneurs. So like when you're looking at two different people, the guy that wakes up every morning or girl and is super, you know, motivated, that attracts you to them. What I've learned over time is like for every one of us, there's got to be somebody that can actually do the work. So we can go out all day and, and dream and I want to do that deal and this deal. But at the end of the day, like the work has to get done. And so what I've learned is great companies, they certainly have the people pulling the company forward, but they built this brilliant team of people that enjoy just doing the work. They don't need to be, you know, the, the number one guy. They don't need to be the number one girl. They just enjoy the process of getting work done. And so my answer to that is, um, great companies, what you find at the end is like, at the end of the day, as all companies, as they get larger, it's like they have HR departments, accounting departments, like all this stuff that's not self-storage or in, like it could be anything, but you still need that core middle. Um, so there's that. And the second is, if I was deciding, if I was y'all, what would be my next hire is, what are each of your strengths? What do y'all both hate doing that if you never had to do again and could delegate would give you 20 more hours a week to go find more deals 
and then hire that person. Like you're constantly going through your list of going, I'm not good at this stuff, nor do I really like it, but there's somebody on this planet that's amazing at it. I don't like accounting, but my controller loves accounting. <laughs> Great, perfect. Okay, I think I think that makes sense. We uh, we actually just hired a bookkeeper because Boom. we've we can't do our own accounting that well. And people are you've heard me say this: people are assets; they're not expenses. Like great people produce value. Now you might not be able to look at a bookkeeper and go, well, "How is she generating revenue?" But she what she is doing is she's taking something off the revenue generator's plate right. and letting y'all go out and create more revenue. So you follow traction, correct? Yeah, we do. We did EOS like fully for about four or five years. And then as the company grew, we modified it just a little bit. But yeah, a lot of the core tenants. And would, would you kind of recommend that too for, you know, building up a company for the average person if, if they do kind of fall into that operator versus, versus visionary route? Because it kind of sounds like you were um, hitting on that in terms of you got a lot of the entrepreneurs that have all the ideas. You need someone to actually go and execute. Um, okay. Is that a reasonable, you know, path to follow that, that you'd recommend other people do as well? hundred percent. All I would say is this, you bet you have to be very, very dedicated to implementing it. It's not a book that you read and like a week later you're on the system. It could take a full year mm. because it's changing habits. It's changing <laughs> workflows is if you read it, you're going to read it and finish it. And the whole time I read that book was like, Oh my God, like your, your light bulbs are going off. Right. Then there's this long like year of implementing it. So my, my two words of advice are, if you're going to implement it yourself, be prepared for it to take longer than you expect and be patient. The second is hire an implementer. A lot of companies hire an implementer and those are professionally trained EOS people that work with your company to get it in. It's not the cheapest thing, but in hindsight, looking back, I probably would have done that route than try to do it all internally. That's awesome. Chris, I want to be respectful of your time. I've got one last question here, then we can wrap it up. Okay. Um, I know that you've mentioned in the past that Gary V is a pretty, pretty big source of inspiration. You, you've followed a lot of the stuff that he's done before around creating and documenting content. Um, and you've just talked about recording your 200th episode in your podcast. You've got a ton of Twitter followers. How has like both a, your podcast and Twitter impacted your life in a positive or negative way? So we live in an interesting world right now where you can get your message out and you can meet a lot of people and um, people are on their screens all day looking at their phone now. And so if you can get in front of them, you can create a lot of value. For me, the podcast is, it's to me, I, I liken it to the purest form of communication in the world. You and I are, we are, we're recording a conversation that we would have at a bar, that we would have anywhere. There is no ivory tower of executives documenting how this should go. And if I answer it this way, then ask this question is like, it's just going back and forth. Um, what people really get to know you through your podcast. And what's interesting is my inner network, when I share the episode we just did together, are actually going to get to indirectly know the two of y'all as well. Mm. So every time I do a podcast with someone, not only do I get to know them better, we're going to be friends for life after this, yeah. but I'll also get to know their, their close circle. And for our business, it builds a lot of trust. I don't have to guess who you, if I go listen to 10 episodes of y'all's, I don't have to guess who you are. Like maybe you faked who you are for one episode, but you can't keep faking it. Right. And so what I get a lot in return from people is they're like, I feel like I've met you and know you. 
because I've listened to you talk and like I hear the questions you're curious about and I hear the flexions and tones of your voice and I don't have to watch a video I can do it anywhere and so it has helped I call it scaling conversation is the best way to say it Twitter and everything is like I can tweet the things and say the things on the podcast I want that a lot of people are like hey can you give me some advice I'm like hey just go listen to this episode like there, it's just I don't I don't know if I'm answering it but it provides a really good distribution platform and I'd end it by saying it lowers the friction for me to meet more people as I go along as y'all's podcast gets bigger and you say, hey, I want to have that person on the podcast. It like lowers your friction to meet people because you offer a platform for them to get their voice out too. And it turns out there's a lot of people on the planet that want to get their voice out. I mean, that's definitely been our biggest thing we've noticed. We've met, you know, phenomenal people and we have a great excuse to start chatting with them when we never would have been able to before. Um, all right, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before before we wrap up, where can people find you, learn more about you? I'm assuming Twitter, maybe your website. What does that look like? I've done a lot of podcasts. This is one of my favorite. Y'all have great uh, y'all have great questions and your enthusiasm is awesome. I, I literally like feel you guys in my core. I'm like I want to be 20. How old are y'all? 20, 25 and 24. <laughs> Boom. There you go. <laughs> uh, find me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter, or you can check me out on the podcast, the Fort Podcast with Chris Powers, or you can go to our company's website, fortcapitallp.com. Amazing. We'll link to those in the show notes. Thanks again. All right, guys. Thanks. If you thought today's episode was awesome, we would love it if you would leave a five-star review on the podcast, either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference and lets us get cooler and cooler guests for future episodes.